You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 126. Partnership is rooted in that realization that the client's got it going on. And one of the things I find most helpful to point myself and coaches to in partnership is those moments when you don't know where to go. That's a partnership invitation because you don't need to know where to go. That's not your job. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello to all of you who are joining us today. It is fantastic to have you with us. We have an incredible show for you. We are being joined by Master Certified Coach Molly Gordon. We're going to be talking about the coaching partnership, the choices we make as coaches, so much other information. I'll get to that in just a second. This is a must-listen-to episode. But first, I want to thank those of you, once again, who have taken the time to fill out the listener survey. If any of you have not yet done so, it would help me tremendously to hear about your needs, what's going on in your practices, internal, external coaches, just what would bring you value. So there is a link for the listener survey in the show notes, as well as on the homepage of starcoachshow.com. And I thank you in advance for your feedback. So let's get into what we are going to talk about today. As I mentioned, we are joined by Master Certified Coach Molly Gordon. Molly is also a certified mentor coach. She has over 20 years experience coaching entrepreneurs and business owners to master the inner and outer games of leading successful businesses, which is so interesting because that's certainly something that many of you I know do as well, is you're looking to master your own inner game and outer game to create successful coaching businesses. Molly is known for her quick intelligence, her lively sense of humor, and her extensive practical experience. She is a visionary and regards coaching as both an expression and a means of individual and collective evolution. Molly's passion for coaching knows no bounds. You'll hear it in today's interview. She is an instructor and a mentor coach. She is a founding member and first president of the ICF Washington State chapter and is absolutely passionate about what we can do as coaches. We talk about the coaching partnership, the choices that we make as coaches, the mindset that we have, the way that we engage with our clients, and so, so much more. One of the things that Molly does in her practice is runs a program for coaches 
called Without a Net. And we'll talk about that in the interview. And then at the very end, if it's something that you're interested in exploring more about, I'll have information for you in the close of the show, as well as on our resource page. So you are definitely going to want to get ready for learning. Molly brings it today with so much joy and passion, and you're going to really enjoy our interview. So let's go to my interview with Master Certified Coach Molly Gordon. Molly Gordon, welcome to the Star Coach Show. It's so nice to see your smiling face this morning. Thank you, Meg. I'm happy to be here. Well, Molly, you came highly recommended. I so enjoyed our pre-interview interview. We have so many things that, that we see and are passionate about that are similar, but I'd like to start with you maybe just introducing yourself to the audience, letting them know what it is that's attracted you to coaching and is part of your passion now. Great. Well, Meg, in early 1996, January 1996, I started working with small business owners, artists, architects, attorneys, daycare center owners, people who were doing what they loved but hadn't planned on getting into business. And I started supporting them with everything from talking about public relations to marketing to planning And everybody organized themselves almost immediately into coming to see me once a week. And I didn't even, I didn't know how to describe what I was doing. I was just responding to people asking for help. And I I used to sometimes use the word coaching descriptively. After about six months of this, said to one of my clients who was also a friend, I said, I don't know what I'm doing for you guys. And it kind of bugs me because I know it's valuable, but I don't know what part of what I'm doing is valuable. And I don't know what to call it. And I was doing so many things trying to justify the time I was spending with them. She came across a Newsweek issue that had Thomas Leonard, founder of Coach U, on the cover. Yes. Sent it to me with a post-it saying, this is what you do. Oh, how powerful. Yeah. So that felt, you know, I got online. I looked up Thomas. I looked up Coach U. I said, I'll be you know, this is what I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm the oldest of eight kids. And at the time I thought, yeah, I've always been, forgive my primitive idea of coaching. I've always been designed to help people know what to do slash tell them what to do. Right. And, and I got to so, tell you, we, I didn't know this about you. So yeah. I'm at the other end of eight. Oh, great. Yeah. So, so you're, you're in the oldest slot. I'm the youngest girl. I'm number seven out of eight. So that's Perfect. interesting. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, yeah, Molly. I have exactly. those older siblings. You know, I am born to tell people what to do. So I coached for about a year before getting coach-specific training. And when I did, what I and I think I did a lot of good, by the way. I felt good about what I was doing. When I got the training, it made coaching half as much work and twice as effective. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah. And it's it sounds kind of canned, but that's remained true for 26 years. That's how I see it. I learned what wasn't coaching, the telling people what to do part mostly. And I fell in love with what's possible when we support people to to do what they're designed to do. Mm -hmm. It's like right now I'm getting a kind of botanical metaphor where it's like helping a tree be the best 
apple tree it can Indeed. and not trying to turn it into a birch. I just, I thought, I was startled and enchanted by what human beings can do when they drop into a reflective and supported space. And that's the key, you know, it's like helping them get the clarity. Am I supposed to be an apple tree? And once that blossoms, then it's like, oh yeah. And my roots can grow and my, I can, you know, my trunk gets stronger and my, my branches can flow. And because now I have that clarity. Exactly. So the, you know, the half as much work part was realizing that I didn't have to figure out what kind of tree they are. I didn't have to tell them how to be a tree. And the twice as effective was once I got oriented to their genius. And I use that word in the original sense of it. It's like their, their DNA, their code will guide them. And I just help them orient to that, return them to that and support that. Such masterful coaching. And I know that you, I would love to talk about this program that that you run. I don't know if you run it annually or how often you run it, but this without a net, I, I just think it is such a sort of courageous and great exercise to kind of get into what coaching can do. And, right. and sometimes it does it better than other times. So exactly. what is what is without a net? Without a net is something I've done. Um, I've offered once and plan to be rolling out again in the early spring. It's live coaching in the moment. I coach and we unpack it. And I coach, I challenge myself to respond to what's showing up in the client and in myself in the moment without trying to tick competency boss boxes, without getting overly preoccupied by whether or not I'm inside or outside the lines. Mm-hmm. A lot of respect for lines, and I also have a lot of respect for coloring outside of them. And then having a conversation with the people so the coaching session can run up to 45, 60 minutes, and then a 30-minute debrief. And we just unpack what happened, what worked, what was coaching, what wasn't coaching, whatever questions occur to us. I've been an MCC since 2002, and I've been an assessor since then most of the time. I teach coaching. And so I'm very steeped in the ICF competencies and tradition and value that. And I've also, I see the limits. Anything like that can become dogmatic. Right. And so without a net is an invitation and a challenge to myself to not be dogmatic, to just do what I do. I've been in a conversation with myself and others for the last couple of years about what is coaching anyway? It's like the longer you do this, the more you start to question the fundamentals and reexamine them. So it's a place for me to take risks and explore that in practice rather than theoretically. Well, I also love the fact that as a profession grows, it redefines itself so much. I mean, just over the course of the ICF being an organization, I think mm-hmm. they've re-looked at things and thought, you know, is is this exactly the way that we want to say this or do this or advise or create our framework? Yeah, lots of things have changed. In the early days of my assessing experience for people applying for credentials, we were working with the competencies, but in the last five, seven years, the notion of partnership has really surfaced. That's always been in the coaching field, has always been fundamental, but I don't remember it being called out as distinctly as it has been in the last five to seven years. 
So that's one evolution that's happened. Yeah. I did an interview, oh, probably about a year ago with Dr. Jane Gardner, who has an ICF a certified program. But when she first presented it, it was, she got a lot of pushback because it's kind of emotional based. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of focus on the emotions and back when she submitted it, which would have been probably in the early or the mid nineties or late nineties, you know, she got a lot of pushback. This sounds more like therapy than coaching and just had to kind of keep revisiting and bring neuroscience evidence in and, and different, different pieces to, and maybe it was the two thousands, but anyway, to, and, and for that notion to begin to oh, you know, when we deal with the whole person, there's all of those pieces in it. Right. It's like emotions are a legitimate domain of learning. Since when has the human being not been capable of learning in the realm of emotion? Why shouldn't we go there? Absolutely. So, So when we look at the kinds of the kinds of ways that we are with our clients and the kinds of choices that we make as coaches, what does that sort of bring up in your mind when, when I say, you know, the choices that we make as coaches? Yeah. I'll go with the, the thing that was playing for me big this morning, and it has to do with the choice of when to educate a client or point a client to something, when to teach, which is another, these traditional or conventional no-no in coaching. Right. About 10 years ago, I came across a psycho-spiritual understanding often known as the three principles. And it's uh, insights by a Canadian man, Sidney Banks, that track with all the great wisdom, wisdom traditions and points to the, the thought-created nature of human experience. And as coaches, I think it, it won't be a surprise to any coach to think in terms of helping a client get out of the box or think out of the box or reframe or shift their perspective or become Raise empowered. their awareness. Yeah. Raise their yeah. awareness. And so one of the choices we make as coaches is what's the foundation or platform on which we help clients raise their awareness? And when is it appropriate or even necessary to or essential to educate that awareness? So for example, if a client is feeling really jerked around by their emotions, they're having strong feelings and they're interpreting those feelings as telling them something urgent about themselves or their circumstances, I think it is often really helpful to point to them that emotion doesn't actually tell you anything about your circumstances. It tells you something about the flow of thought in the moment. And when clients can hear that, they settle down. Mm -hmm. And my observation is that when human beings settle down, they get smarter. They get wiser. They... The clutter clears a little. The clutter clears, yes. And clarity is another really classic conventional long-standing value and standard in coaching. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it looks to me, it's obvious to me even, that there are some things we can point clients to that massively affect their clarity. And you could coach for five years in the clutter, or you could spend, you know, one to five hours with a client helping them look at the thought-created nature of their experience, and boom, they've got access to clarity forever. And that gave me goosebumps because isn't that exactly what we're trying to to help our clients get to? To right. if another dear friend of mine and and former guest on the show, Allison Hendren, said, you know, a, a client should be able to get further, faster, clearer with a coach 
Yes. Than without a coach. I mean, there's a reason why we're partnering. So that whole concept of when to teach, I've always strongly believed that it's not in service of our client if we have information that could potentially help with clarity or help with forward movement. It's not that we assign that to them, but we offer it as appropriate. And so if I'm withholding, what kind of a partner is that? Right. And at the same time, if if I'm pushing it down their throat. Yeah. Yeah. If we see that a client is, um, by their communication styles or habits, failing to form useful collaborations in their work, we point that out. To what extent is that teaching? You know, there's teaching around emotional intelligence. Um, when, When I discovered the principles, it profoundly affected my understanding of my role as a coach and deepened and simplified what I'm likely to teach when I teach. So you you talked about these three principles and and I'm wondering what cuz I guarantee you the audience is thinking, "Oh, the three principles. Tell me more about the three principles." Right. So what are these three principles that you sort of stumbled or, or onto and then have become a part of sort of your philosophy? Yeah. So so the fact that we talk about three principles is in a way incidental. It's a way to describe something indescribable. So are there three? Are there one? Are there five? We talk about three. The core insight, I guess there are two ways I would talk about Sydney Banks' core insight. One is that everything we experience, all our thoughts, all our feelings, all our sensations are modulating through what he called thought, which is not just cognitive processes, but all that mental activity. Mm -hmm. And that we create or co-create or experience our reality through thought. So the principle of thought. He used the principle of mind to refer to the infinite energy and intelligence behind life. So that which animates the apple tree, that which animates me, whatever it is, that it's life energy and the intelligence behind life. And then consciousness is the third principle. And consciousness is uh, sometimes understood as awareness. It's the ability for mind is the source of everything, thought as a thing that gives form in the moment to what's coming through mind. Consciousness is like the screen on which you see that form. Okay. So it's, it is the... Consciousness recruits our emotions, our sensations. It, it's the uh, special effects department that makes what we think appear real. Wow. So when you began to kind of look through that lens or, or use that consciousness as part of, of what you did, how did that impact the way that you partnered with your clients? Well, in the beginning, it totally messed it up. Um, as actually everything I've ever learned as a coach is first just really messed up my coaching. I become self-conscious and clumsy and you know, it's, you use a new tool poorly until you use it well. Because in the beginning, I thought it was about communicating the three principles. And now I may not ever talk about three principles. Mm-hmm. It's the understanding of the nature of human experience that I find helpful, not what I call it. And it's not the gospel of the three principles. So there are a few ways that the principles now inform and affect my coaching. Number one, we talk in the prologue to the definition of coaching. We say that coaches believe that clients are whole, resourceful, and creative. 
And my understanding now, what I've realized is, no, that's a subset of the truth. But it's not that it's helpful or a useful thing to think that way. It's that, holy crap, human beings are infinitely whole, resourceful, and creative. They're so not like so much bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, this is just true. I don't have to have this attitude. It's like, wow. And when we think about infinite, it's like your resourcefulness, creativity, and wholeness looks different than mine. We don't have identical, but in an infinite space, there's infinite possibility without even overlapping. So Anyway, that just oh, but no, that just that knocks my socks off because that also kind of speaks to that to to challenge that concept that sometimes our clients work out of or coaches work out of about scarcity. And when things are infinite, when there's infinite possibility, and when you said without even necessarily overlapping or or touch, but it's just you know, it's like wow, if we could just embrace that, what does that do to open up the mind to possibility? You know, I stumbled on a video for several years. I made a weekly little video and posted it to Facebook. And I stumbled on one yesterday that I reposted that was about choice. And it was this fun little riff about infinite choice. And in it, I challenged uh, viewers. I said, just next time you think you only have this or that choice when you're in a binary situation, make up 23 choices. (laughs) 23. It's 23. It's an easier number to grok than infinity. Right, right. And, and I put out really ridiculous ones like, uh, what if you did it with bells on? What if you could do it upside down and backwards? What if you could find your childhood sweetheart and do it in partnership with them? I mean, just really breaking the frame. Right. Not reframing, but breaking, breaking the frame. Out of the frame, just breaking it. Yeah. And beginning to see how made up and how artificial are the rules of the games we play. And yeah, I think that's tremendously exciting. Tremendously. Absolutely. The other thing that you said that I really want, because a lot of our listeners are new coaches, and and then there's many, many experienced coaches, but the piece that you said, here you are, a master certified coach since 2002, so at my count, that's at least 16 years, and you said, when I try something new, I feel sort of awkward and clunky with it. It messes with my coaching, and I just want people to hear that. It's sort of like, let's normalize that. When we bring a new skill set in, it's going to mess with the flow in, and hopefully in a good way. I mean, that's not yeah. a bad thing, but just, but I just can hear this collective sigh of, oh, well, it happens to Molly. Then, you know, it's okay that when I'm learning Absolutely. a new skill, it's not going to be just unconsciously, we're not going to be unconsciously competent in it. We're going to be thinking about it. We're going to clunk through it. We're going to think this worked and this didn't work. So just kind of giving people permission to grow into whatever it is that they're Yep. And I think that clunkiness is, it's good one because it's, it's a signature of the learning process. So that's a good thing. But I think it's more than a signature. I think it's a component. I think it's essential to learning something new. Mm-hmm. So for some years, I've been reflecting on, on the limits and costs of unconscious competence. Because when we're, we're in unconscious competence, we can't, you know, the upside is we don't have to think about what we're doing. That's very freeing. The downside is that we don't think about what we're doing. <laughs> we don't see the limits. Right. 
So one way I experience my own growth and development is that as you grow and develop, it's like you move up floors in a building. And when you get to the new floor, there's all this space, this new wonderful room with high ceilings. And you play in that room for a while. And then one day you're playing up near that ceiling. And that ceiling becomes a, quote, problem or limit. Mm-hmm. And the process of going into the next room is clunky. It's, and and it, it might break us out of our comfort zone. And we might be scared to get out of our room because we know yeah. our room very, very well. And it's really helpful if you can make a choice to become consciously less competent. If you can oh, let go I know. Why of, you didn't say that one more time. Become consciously less competent. David Peterson, who runs coaching and leadership development at Google, talks about deliberately suboptimizing some aspect of your coaching for the sake of getting better. And that's another way. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he says it in a more geeky way than I say, <laughs> but I think it's a very similar process. We have to be willing to look worse or be clumsier or feel clunkier. And the clients, the value to the client always needs to be front and center. Right. But if I don't look good to my client, or if it's not the most beautiful, smooth process, that doesn't necessarily cost my client growth. Right. Just cost my ego a few bumps and bruises. And, and so often we're in that place of we know or we're double checking on ourselves. But if we're truly present with the client, they're going to be getting the value from that. They're not going to be, oh, that wasn't a perfect coaching right. question or that wasn't. I mean, are we truly present with them, there with them and being that partner that they're not checking the boxes. They're not saying, right. ooh, they missed a marker. Right. <laughs> and are we in that. service of yeah. their growth through their insight or their growth through my elegantly delivered insight? <laughs> which I really love, but doesn't actually serve them that much. (laughs) Oh, I really love that. What else do you encourage? I know you work with new coaches. You work with experienced coaches. You're just, well, you're a pioneer of our industry. So what else do you think people need to know, people need to think about when they're in these experiences with their partner clients? Yeah. So we've mentioned the first and one that I find most important, which is, realizing, not just believing, but realizing the infinite potential intelligence, creativity of the client. As an extension or another version of that, that the coach and the client are part of this infinite system. Sometimes it's described as collective unconsciousness, collective intelligence, the Rupert Sheldrake's morphic field, but we're part of made up of and connected to a field of intelligence, wisdom, possibility. And we should tap into that. You know, it would be foolish not not to go there. And so to help coaches get a feel for when they're rooting around in what I call their own hard drives or the client's hard drive for answers instead of going to the cloud. It's like, you know, we don't have to we don't have to grind away at this. One of the ways that looks is being willing to get lost. I I think it's really important to join clients where they are and wonder with them rather than try to know where they're going. Wonder or pull them it. to where you think they need to be. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Listening. There's so many different ways to listen. And this is right now for me an open question, Meg, about how to best train or help develop coaches to listen. Mm-hmm. Because if we become too self-conscious, if we have too many mental models for listening, that's not helping us listen. Mm-hmm. 
So the advice I often give my mentees is before a coaching session, think about how you want to be, think about the way you want to work, think about the skill you want to develop. After a coaching session, reflect on what you did, what worked, what didn't. But during a coaching session, forget all of that. Just leave it off the table. Another mentor of mine, Linda Pransky, talks about listening with nothing on your mind. And I think, you know, that's the gold standard Mm -hmm. of listening and coaching. And it's, it's not just intuitive because when we, I think there's a way in which when we talk about being intuitive, it centers the intuition in the coach. And this is a bigger space of intuitive possibility that's not personal to the coach. That's really powerful. And I love, you know, sort of like expand the playground. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be just the sandbox. It's, it's you know, what, what's available all around. Right, right. And that infinite playground can be terribly disorienting, but we have the advantage of we have a client in that playground. So if we're centered on the client and really connect with them where they are, and then look toward this infinite playground, we have places to go and things to do. And that's, that's also when I'm working with coaches, the real answer to what do I tell them? How do I help them? I tried to just notice where they are. And sometimes what they need may be as simple and apparently mundane as get a more complete coaching agreement. It's one of the most important things that I see is get a more complete contract. Sometimes it's listening. Sometimes it's letting go. Sometimes it's taking more risks. Sometimes it's having more respect for the client. Sometimes it's figuring out how to complete a session. Very often at all levels, I'm working on partnership. Mm Even if you're teaching, partnership has to be driving the train, in my opinion. Otherwise, you're not teaching, you're preaching. And that, to me, is an absolute no-no just because it doesn't work. So how do you help people with the concept of partnership and what that coaching partnership sort of, it doesn't represent what it is? Yeah, there are a couple of ways. Some of them are formal or technical, I often, when I mentor, I like to work with transcripts Mm -hmm. so I can point to specific places where a formal or technical move, like simply asking for permission or pausing after you make an observation or a reflection and explicitly inviting the client to comment or agree or disagree. So there are those formal forms of partnership. Partnership is rooted in that realization that the client's got it going on. And one of the things I find most helpful to point myself and coaches to in partnership is those moments when you don't know where to go, that's a partnership invitation because you don't need to know where to go. That's not your job. I love that. Yes. So partnership is, is recognizing those moments, taking those times of being confused or stuck or disoriented and turning them on their head and wondering with your client, where do we need to go? What do we need to look at? What might be useful for us to talk about in order to know where to go? And, you know, zooming out and zooming in. And then what's just occurred to me in this moment, Meg, is there's a component here about where we're partnering with that infinite mind. We're partnering with the universe or however the client might articulate Mm -hmm. that intelligence of life. I don't care what language I use. I want to use language that's meaningful to the client. Right. So I'll play around with that. Wow. That is so powerful. And actually twice now in this interview, you've given me goosebumps and just kind of the way that it settles and the way that 
it it's feels so right, so true. And I can't believe that we've, you know, already been talking for, you know, about 30 minutes. And I'm wondering if there's any additional thoughts or or a thought that you would like to be sure that we share before we, we close out our time together. Yeah. What occurs to me is to be willing to get lost because getting lost is like, it's, that's the doorway to new thinking. There really is an infinite potential in any moment for a new idea, a new perspective, a new understanding to emerge. And not knowing or being lost is like the uber way to access that. Because knowing is about things you've already got. So cultivate a healthy respect and appreciation for getting lost. Oh, wow. Thank you, Molly. Thank you for for just kind of doing this. Molly and I made a conscious decision at the beginning of this interview that we were just going to flow to where it took us. And I just loved flowing with you today. Thank you for coming and and sharing some perspective and, and some deep things for us to think about the choices that we make as coaches. Mm, thank you, Meg. It was truly such a joy to spend time with Molly talking about coaching and all the things that we're passionate about regarding the field of coaching. If you're intrigued by Molly's program without a net, she happens to be starting a new round of her program in April and space is limited for it. So if it's something that you might want to check out, go to starcoachshow.com on the resource page. You will see the link to explore without a net. It's, as I mentioned, it has limited space. So you might want to check that out if that's something that you're interested in. I'll also put a link for that in the show notes. I want to thank Molly Gordon once again for coming and sharing her perspective and her experience on coaching. If you are enjoying the show, if you would leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, it will help more people find the show. So I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your busy day to join us. And I look forward to having you join us again next week as we explore all things coaching, strategies, tools, and resources for coaches. And until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success.